Father, thank you for um, your amazing love for us in your son and how you have spoken clearly to us and revealed yourself plainly to us through his life, through his teaching, through his death, and through his resurrection. So we ask by your Holy Spirit that once again you would move in every aspect of our being that we can see Jesus this morning. Lord, make your word come alive to us. Grow us in trust, in hope, in obedience, and in assurance of his great love for us here and now and for all eternity. Come Holy Spirit, do a mighty work in our lives as your people, as your sheep this day. We pray in the name of the Good Shepherd. Amen. Have a seat. So if you want to uh, open your Bibles <coughs> to, uh, to John chapter 10, we're continuing to look at this parable that Jesus is telling about the good shepherd and the reason why he's telling this parable and then goes on to explain this parable is to be very clear about who he is and what he's come to do and how he is going to do that for us. In verses 1 through 6, you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is saying that he's the true shepherd of Israel. And then in verses 7 through 10, he goes on to say that he is the only way to God. And then in verses 11 through 21, he's saying that he's the savior of the world, the Messiah, and that he's going to save the world by dying on a cross for the sins of the world. This is uh, the explanation of the parable of the good shepherd and the sheep. Jesus is using common metaphors, common understanding to help us understand a eternal spiritual truth. And so as we continue to look at what Jesus is teaching, we pick it up in verses 22 and 23. And I think this is really important. And I'm so grateful that uh, in John's testimony, he includes this. Remember why John is writing. He's writing so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in Jesus as the Messiah, we would have life in his name. And he picks up uh, Jesus's uh, time in verse 22 saying, it is the feast of dedication. When Jesus is telling the parable of the sheep and the shepherd, it's the feast of dedication um, in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So if you can imagine the temple courts where the feast of dedication, where the uh, feast of tabernacles has been, where uh, the lighting ceremony has been with the four big uh, candelabras and menorahs, that's where Jesus still is. He's in the temple and it is now winter, okay? We know uh, it's winter for two reasons. One, because it's the Feast of Dedication. This is the last of the great festivals in um, the Jewish calendar. And they're walking in the colonnade of uh, Solomon, which is enclosed and where they have fires because it was cold. 
So Jesus is in the temple during this great feast of dedication. Do you also know what the feast of dedication is called? What's the other name for it? Does anybody know? Hanukkah, right? It's the winter festival that commemorates the rededication of the temple. So 200 years before Christ, soldiers captured and pillaged the temple. And they took all of its treasure and all of its artifacts and uh, made it unusable (coughs) for worship. But then in the winter of 165 BC, a Jewish army reclaimed the temple and rededicated it to the Lord. It was a big deal for Israel. And so the festival of Hanukkah, also known as the festival of dedication, celebrates this historic occasion, what it means to have the temple, the presence of God uh, for the worship of God by God's people. Now, here's what's interesting. During the festival, priests, Levites, would have examined their commitment to service. During Hanukkah, one of the things that the priests would have done is they would have set aside time at the end of the year to reflect on their service to God in the past year and what it meant to serve God in the coming year. This was a a customary thing for uh, the servants of the temple to do during the celebration of Hanukkah. And for their meditation, for their reflection, they would have used Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 would have been the principal text for their reflection. And I I I just want to read that to you because I I think it's really interesting that this is the context uh, to which Jesus um, is speaking. Ezekiel 34 is... God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel about what it means to be bad spiritual leaders and how God's going to hold his people accountable for being bad shepherds, but then promises to send a good shepherd to actually come himself and be their shepherd. Okay, Ezekiel 34. This is what the priests would have been reflecting on during uh, this, um, during this festival. Then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. 
Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I now consider these shepherds my enemies, and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and the sheep will no longer be their prey. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. That is God's word through the prophet Ezekiel. Now, doesn't that completely change the way you understand the parable of the shepherd and the sheep? Because Jesus all along is claiming to be the good shepherd and is challenging the religious leaders of Israel to repent and believe in him. And then they're obstinate, they're refusing. And so during this festival, when that scripture would have been heavy on the hearts of the religious leaders, Jesus speaks to them. At the Hanukkah celebration in the temple, Jesus is fulfilling the promise through the prophet of Ezekiel. And he's making the distinction between himself as the good shepherd and Israel's current religious leaders as the bad shepherds. That's heavy. That's really heavy. So the religious leaders approach Jesus with a question. It's not so much a question as it is a complaint. If you look at verse 24, they ask, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Is is that just kind of make you shake your head? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now at this point, Jesus is approaching the end of his earthly ministry. It's been about two and a half years since he was baptized by John in the Jordan. He's been in Galilee and Judea for almost three years, and he's been teaching publicly that whole time. All right? He's changed water into wine, healed the sick, given sight to the blind, fed 5,000, calmed storms, walked on water, cast out demons, and done all sorts of other things that were in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. And all that he taught and all that he did was sufficient for anyone to recognize who he is. And yet the religious leaders are refusing to repent and believe in him. And with this obstinate, independent spirit, they're actually pushing back against Jesus. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Why would they say that? Imagine you're uh, on a road trip. And if you're like me, which I hope you're not, um, the mileage markers are a suggestion. 
right? They're not actually something that you completely obey. The, spe- the, speed, the speed signs are a suggestion more than anything else, right? Did I ever tell you a story about me and Brian? Okay, let me tell you this story real quick. <clears throat> so so Brian, Brian, like, is he, he obeys the law. He's so good. I want to be more like Christ than Brian. But we both drive to, uh, to Colorado uh, to meet at YMCA of the Rockies. He's leaving from Lubbock. I'm leaving from Midland. That's about an hour and a half apart, I think. We leave at the same time. Brian never goes over the speed limit. I kind of, you know, go with the flow, right? So an hour and a half away, we leave at the same time. We have dinner together in Colorado Springs. I'm just saying. So, so... <laughs> So imagine, uh, imagine this. Yeah, 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 until Colorado Springs. I think I got to YMCA of the Rockies and checked in before you too. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just using that to illustrate what's going on, I think, with the religious leaders, right? It's like, it's like having a, a, speed, a speed sign that says 65, and you see the sign 65, and you're like, yeah, and you keep going 75. And you see a sign that says 65, and you're like, yeah, and you keep going 75. And you see a sign that says 65, and your wife says, hey, you need to slow down. You're breaking the speed limit. And you're like, yeah, and then a police pulls you over. And he says, hey, do you know what the speed limit was? And you go, no, I have no idea. <laughs> What, what was the speed limit, officer? 65. Oh, really? Was I, I was going 65, right? No, you were going 78. I'm like, oh, so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't see the sign. That's, what's, that's what the religious leaders are doing, right? To ask for more signs from Jesus is only an attempt to avoid responsibility and shift the blame. The fault is not in him. The fault is not in the signs or in his teaching. The fault is in them, the driver, who doesn't like to abide by the truth, but prefers to be his own authority. Right? In the same way, we can't tell God that he's not revealed the truth plainly to us. We can say that we don't like the truth he's revealed to us in Jesus and reject him. But we can't say that he hasn't revealed the truth plainly to us. So we can either say we don't like what God says to us in Jesus, or we can let the truth of Jesus move us to repentance and faith. But we can't sit back and blame God for not making the truth clear to us. So what Jesus is doing is he's exposing the real problem. It's not that he's not telling them plainly, it's that they don't believe in him. They don't trust him. They won't surrender to him. They refuse to follow and obey him because all the evidence confirms that Jesus is the Messiah, but they just, they won't accept him as such. Now, I love how Jesus responds here because he doesn't seem to be frustrated. And yet yet once again, what, what he seems to do is just speak the truth in love. Like he's just not giving up on him. Time and time again, he's just going to speak the truth in love. And he responds to their request, speaking plainly, once again, about who he is and what he's come to do. Someone mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, Matt, it seems like Jesus just keeps saying the same thing over and over again. Um, And it's because he does. 
They said, you know, it seems like Jesus is so redundant. I'm like, yeah, he's so redundant. It's like he just keeps saying the same thing. Why is it that he keeps saying the same thing? I think to penetrate the hardness of heart, to to hold out the hope that the Spirit will help us connect and that we will turn and trust in Him. And what we'll see is that even though people disbelieve, He keeps speaking the truth with grace and in love, and people still kind of start to get it. And so Jesus just keeps going after it. Well, look at His response in verses 25 and 26. He answers him, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Okay, what Jesus is sharing is serious. It's really sobering here. You want me to speak plainly? Okay, I'm going to speak plainly. This is going to be, this is going to be the plain truth. Jesus speaks really plainly and tells it like it is. The reason that they don't acknowledge the miracles, the reason they don't heed his teaching, the reason they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah is because they do not belong to him. They're not his sheep. They have not been given to him by the Father. And this is the distinction that Jesus has been trying to make all along. So I want us to sit with this for a second because this is really important. Jesus does not say, you are not my sheep because you do not believe. Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Do you hear the distinction? He doesn't say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He says, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. Okay, according to Jesus, which comes first, salvation or faith? Salvation. Salvation. Jesus says salvation comes first, and we believe because we've been saved. Now, that's an important theme throughout the entire scripture. It's an important theme that Jesus teaches throughout his earthly ministry. And it's the same theme that is passed down through the pastoral letters and the apostles. Men and women are unable to believe until by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus for who he is. Gives us a new heart Not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh to trust in Jesus and to redeem our will, the the will that we lost with the fall of Adam and Eve, to redeem that will with the desire and the ability to follow Jesus and do what pleases God. Faith follows new birth. Faith is the fruit of salvation not the cause of it. We can't choose God unless he first chooses us, doing a miracle in our hearts that leads us to repentance and belief in him. So this is causing people to rethink what's going on here. And Jesus 
presses down. Look at verses 27 through 29. On the one hand, Jesus is saying that those who are God's sheep recognize him and follow his voice and believe in him. And notice that he uses the characteristic of sheep to describe those who belong to him. Sheep are receptive to the voice of the good shepherd. They know his voice. They respond to his word. When he calls them, they come. And when they come, they do what he says. They take his words and find life in them and put them into practice and bear much fruit. And the sheep of the good shepherd trust and come under his leadership because his leadership is always good and right and perfect. The sheep aren't just receptive, they're known by the good shepherd. And this knowing leads them to continue to trust him wholeheartedly. Because he cares, he cares for his sheep. Uh, he looks after his sheep in every way. He knows his sheep individually and calls them by name. And the fact that he responds to them with such love and such care and attention gives the sheep even greater faith and greater trust to follow after him, to trust him and to obey. And he says that sheep are given eternal life by the good shepherd, this new and abundant life. Begins at the moment that sheep are born again, are recreated anew and brought into the fold, the flock of the good shepherd. And that life exists here and now, but also forever in the presence of God. So the sheep are receptive, the sheep are known, the sheep have eternal life. But he's saying, by contrast, on the other hand, that those who are not God's sheep don't recognize him as the Messiah or follow his voice or believe in him. They don't accept Jesus because they're not his sheep. And because they're not his sheep, they don't listen, they don't know, and they don't follow and obey. It's a pretty clear and plain distinction that Jesus is making. Tell us plainly that you are the Messiah. Okay, let me be plain. I have sheep and not everybody is my sheep. There's a difference between those who are my sheep and those who are not my sheep. And finally, Jesus says that his sheep are secure under his protection. In verses 28 and 29, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand because I think what Jesus is intuiting is that in the crowd when he's saying some are my sheep and some aren't my sheep, there's a little bit of curiosity, maybe even holy fear that bubbles up. Am I a sheep or am I not? And then how do I know? Well, you know, because you recognize, you hear, you follow and obey. Well, can that ever be taken away from me? Jesus says, no. This is the beauty of how he culminates his answer. Now, I want to illustrate this. And I'm going to need Jake to come up here. Come on, Jake. And I'm going to need Britt to come up here. Okay, what does, uh, okay, you, who wants to be the father? Who wants to be the son? Father, father you be the son. Okay. <laughs> okay, that was easy. 
Okay, so what is what is what is Jesus say that that whoever the Father gives me, no one can take him out of what? His hand, right? Okay. So let's say this is salvation. This is eternal life. Okay. And it gets put in the, let's put it in one hand, in the hand of the son. Okay. We are sheep in the son's hand. Okay. Now, Brit's buff, but Jesus is buffer. Do you think I can take that out of his hand? There's no way. Jesus is saying there's no way that the devil or any circumstance or anything that we do can take our salvation out of the good shepherd's hand. Okay? But he says something else too. What does he say? No one can snatch him out of the father's hand either, right? So here's the picture. You're one-handed. Yep. So, so, no, 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 no. Hold on. No, no. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. No, this this is the picture. It's in the son's hand. No one can snatch it. But just in case anybody thinks they can, look at this. Now do you think I can get that out of there? There's, there's no way I can get that out of the father or the son's hand. Now, here's the beautiful part. Because he says hand. He doesn't say hands. Here's the beautiful part. Um, let, let me try. I, I messed it up. Sorry. Let's do it in this hand. Okay. Now you hold it. Now you hold it. Okay. okay. Now, what's the picture? Hold up your left hand. Hold up your right hand. They're fighting off anybody who tries. Do you see that picture? <laughs> now, if, if, if I, <laughs> well done. If I, if I feel, if I feel secure that nobody's getting my battery from me, Strew, how much more secure can I feel that no one's getting my eternal life from Jesus and the father? It's just not going to happen. Thanks guys. It's not actually, you can keep the battery. what jesus is saying is that when you belong to the good shepherd no one can snatch you out of the good shepherd's hand um and he's also saying that there's clearly a threat satan uh trials temptations there's there's a threat that it might be snatched but no matter what we're safe we're secure we're kept from the evil one we're kept from anything um that could take away our salvation from us um, does anybody know the name Franny Crosby? Oh, somebody knows, you know, Franny Crosby, of course, Fanny, Fanny Crosby. Of course you, of course you know her. Of course you know. So, um, she's born in 1820 outside of New York. She was, she was born blind. Um, and if you have a chance to, to read, um, about her, just a remarkable, remarkable young woman. And uh, became a fantastic poet, um, got to uh, be amongst great poets and even um, presidents, um, playwrights. But she was also a really great hymn writer. She loved Jesus. And uh, in her life, she wrote something like 8,000 hymns. And uh, one time... Uh, her, her pastor, after worship, sympathetically uh, asked her as, as she was leaving worship, she said, you know, I think it, he said, I think it's a pity, Fanny, that the master didn't give you sight when he showed you so many other gifts. To which Fanny quickly replied, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, 
it would have been that I would be born blind. And her pastor just kind of shakes his head and looks at her and says, why? And without missing a beat, she says, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be the face of my Savior. That's assurance. That's security in what it means to be in the Son's hand and in the Father's hand, no matter what. And do you know what the most famous hymn that Fanny Crosby wrote is? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So Jesus is speaking into and fulfilling this prophet of Ezekiel with truth and love, helping the crowd at the festival of Hanukkah, realize that he is the Messiah. And even when the religious leaders push back against him and and try and put it back on him, he presses in and is even all the more clear. And, And he does it one more time. In verses 30 through 38, he he gets redundant again. (laughs) Like, Like he wants to make sure that we know who he is and what he has done and how we can respond. Like he just, he keeps saying it. His love is so great that he just keeps saying it. Jesus emphasizes that he's God. I and the Father are one. That's speaking plainly. How do we know that they get it? Because the Jews pick up stones to stone him. And so Jesus says, I've shown you many good works from the Father, from which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews say, we're not stoning you because of any of the miracles. They concede the miracles but for blasphemy because you a mere man claim to be God. Okay, have they heard? They've heard. He has spoken plainly. So now it's clear. They want Jesus to tell them plainly if he's the Messiah. Jesus tells them plainly he's the Messiah, but rather than repent and believe, they try and kill him for blasphemy. Were their hearts really open? But Jesus doesn't stop explaining just to make sure He not only says, I and the Father are one in verses 34 and 36, he claims that he's the Son of God, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of the Son of God. Now, what he says here is a little weird. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's weird unless you understand the rabbinical context. So there's a time in the story of Israel called the Judges, when God's people actually called the Judges gods. And they were... They used the word God. You can find this in the Psalms. They used the word gods to mean that the judges had been appointed by God to represent God among them. 
And so what Jesus is saying is he's going back to this rabbinical teaching. He's referring to this time in Israel's history. And he's saying, you called the judges gods for being God, for being God's chosen representatives to save Israel from false foreign leaders. And yet now the father has sanctified and sent me for the salvation of the world. And you accuse me of blasphemy. When the real son of God, when the real God comes, you don't just accept it and write it off. You try and kill me. Underscore you hypocrites. That's what he's saying. It's it's not right. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't even give them a chance to respond to that. He keeps going with his third and final plain spoken claim to be the Messiah. He says that God is in him and he is in God. You see that in 37 and 38. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm one with God. One in nature, one in substance, one in essence, one in being, one in mind, one in heart, one in purpose, one in work, one in power, one in glory. I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. The father and I are one. We are the same. Plain enough. And he's not doing it snarkily. He's speaking the truth in love. He's being perfectly clear and he's perfectly understood. And you see what happens in verses 39 through 42. Once again, they try to arrest him, but he gets away. And this time he goes uh, beyond the Jordan River back to where Jesus, back to where John had been baptizing. And he hangs out there for a while. And it says that many follow him there. And as they're following, they're continuing to have this conversation. And they say, you know, John didn't perform miraculous signs, but everything that John said about Jesus has come true. And many who were there with him believed in him. So how do we respond to the good shepherd? I think the question is, are we sure that we're a sheep? As, as we come to the Lord Jesus this morning at his table, do you know that you're a sheep? Because when you know that you're a sheep in the fold of the good shepherd, you know that you are known. You know that you are cared for. You know that you are led well and provided for and safe and secure. And whatever is best for you, the Lord will give you for his glory and for your identity and purposes according to his will. When you know you're a sheep and the Lord's full, it is good and causes joyful, reverent praise and thanksgiving to well up from us. But what about those who don't know? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's thinking, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I wonder if I am. And if that's you, that is the work of the Holy Spirit drawing you 
to Jesus into his fold. And it's important to hear his voice and to respond to it this morning. That when you come forward, don't wonder, but know based on what he has done and based on his calling in your heart that you belong to him now and forever. And ink that in. Go to a prayer team in the back during communion this morning and say, you know what? I've never been to a church. I haven't been to church in a long time. I've never heard the gospel explained clearly. I'm not sure if I'm a sheep or not, but I think the Lord Jesus is calling me into his fold and let the prayer team just ink that in for you and celebrate that with you. So you know that life and that assurance here and now and forever. Let's pray. risen Lord Jesus. You are the good shepherd of your father's sheep. We thank you. We thank you by your spirit that you teach us to hear your voice and to follow your word. And we thank you that you are gathering your people into one flock. And we ask that as we come to you this morning, in whatever way we need nourishment, that you would feed us, that we would be satisfied. In whatever way we are hurting or broken, that you would heal us, that we would be made whole. And in whatever way we need wisdom or direction or guidance, that you would lead us, that we may be with you and know that you will never leave us or forsake us. For you are alive and you reign, Jesus, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.